hit me. From Studio A in Arcata, behind the Redwood Curtain, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Clips, the original comedy soundcast featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And here's your host from up the coast, practically unknown outside of comedy soundcasting, comedy soundcast soundcaster, Tyson Sainer. Saluton. Estes me, Tyson Saner. I will be your host for the duration of this penultimate episode of Succotash, the comedy soundcast soundcast. And as you may or may not know, I've been combing the internet far and wide, more or less, to bring you a few tastes of comedy soundcasting to your hungry, hungry ear hippos for a few years now. You are about to hear what is likely to be the last typical clip-style version of Succotash the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast for the foreseeable future, but don't dismay. This coming break is being called a hiatus because of the temporary nature that the term implies. The most likely scenario is that the show will return in some form or another, perhaps exactly the same form as you are about to hear. Perhaps not. Who can say? And while that question hangs in the air, could I tempt you with some clippage? I've got clips from... Games for the End of the World, Refried Reviews, Wise Kraken with Winter, Knowing, colon, Robin Williams, Pajama Pants, and Piecing It Together Podcast. I've also got another reading from our 100% fake sponsor with a 100% real website, TrumPoetry.com. And it wouldn't feel like an episode of Succotash, the Comedy Soundcast Soundcast, without at least one burst of durst from raging moderate Will Durst, who is still recovering from having suffered a stroke last October. In 2019, for those of you listening in the far-off future, or, or even just 2021, really, I'd also like to point out that one of my favorite things to do on this show, as I've been hosting it, is to try to the best of my ability to read the episode descriptions exactly as written, with the exception of links or commercials or promo codes. I look at it this way. A soundcast is something that's unlikely to be heard as the way you first experience it, uh, unless you have friends who play podcasts as entertainment for each other to enjoy and someone hears it by accident you generally will intersect with its description first, especially on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, where you can read about a show before you decide to listen to it. So, if you are taking the time to write what is basically your, hey, listen to me, commercial for your show, then I'm going to honor that time someone took to try to describe what you would potentially be about to listen to. Minus non-episode or show descriptive text, as previously mentioned. I have to write some of these things myself, and I often wonder what those words I write to describe the nonsense I get up to would sound like if someone other than me spoke them aloud. Anyway, on with the show. Thank you for listening. First up tonight, Games for the End of the World from Joe. That's capital J, capital O, capital E. The show's description reads, What game would you save if you could pick just one? Which character would you choose to protect you in the apocalypse? These are the big questions in life, and each week we'll invite a different guest into our apocalypse bunker and dissect their life through gaming. Why? Because it's the end of the world, and what else is there but gaming? The section of conversation I've selected for you is from the episode posted on the 13th of November, 2019, titled Jane Douglas, Role-Playing Games, World of Warcraft, and Tricking Her Mum to Get Her Dad a PS1 for Father's Day. A PS1, by the way, for those of you who may not know, is a game console created by Sony released in the mid-1990s. And in this episode description, it says, Professional gamer, presenter, and co-editor and founder of Outside Xbox, Jane Douglas, pays our jack-of-all-games Tom Deacon a visit in the bunker this week. They chat World of Warcraft, role-playing games, and persuading her mom to buy her dad a PlayStation for Father's Day. Huh. 
the early career so how how did it start then to to getting into the presenting uh that you do for the gaming how did i get into the presenting side yeah well um i worked for GameSpot for a mm. while and that was a combination of uh, video work and also you know kind of written reviews and news and articles and what have you and um I really enjoyed the video presenting side of it and there was a strong video focus like they were moving even more into video while I was there and that kind of um yeah that guided me into like the video sort of focus that we have now um I founded Outside Xbox with Andy and Mike and we're all from kind of trad media backgrounds mike was a magazine journalist i came from GameSpot. andy actually worked for microsoft for xbox initially so our background isn't like um what you think of as the like the traditional youtuber mm. like obviously like those guys are guys and girls are extremely successful and they do their own thing um we don't come from the kind of vlogging background the sort of like iconic like bedroom vlogger who you know talks about video games you're from the research background i guess kind of, we have a little bit of a writing background um and i think that was our that was our way in to making videos and that happened to be on youtube and it was it wasn't quite the the kind of classic iconic youtuber style explaining what you do there Ooh, on youtube yeah well so we have a YouTube channel. That's like our, our main focus. And we make five videos on outside Xbox. We have five videos a week. So a video every, you know, working day. And, uh, that's been keeping us pretty busy. I got to say, we're not an enormous team. It's not like we're the tip of the iceberg and there's like this massive production team. Yeah. yeah. Like it's all hands on that. We all have to almost. We, we, we have a couple of amazing video producers. Um, James and John. Hi guys. Uh, but. <laughs> I don't know if they made it in the apocalypse. I, oh, I no. Yeah. No, they'll make it. They'll, if anyone's going to make it, it's James <laughs> and John. They're doing okay. They're, they're in their own bunker, much nicer bunker somewhere. But um, That's a bit harsh. I mean, I've put a lot of effort into this No, 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 bunker. don't get no, me wrong. No, this it's is fine. amazing. No, 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 no it's but fine. But if I know James and John, it'll, it'll be fabulous. <laughs> the lighting will be amazing. They'll probably um, have Wi-Fi. Yeah, <gasps> Do we, we don't have, have Wi-Fi? don't have it down here. Oh, I've no. tried. I've, I've turned it on and off a few times. It still isn't working. We've reset the router. We've checked the NAT settings. I don't know if I can last the apocalypse if there's not going to be Wi-Fi. I'll be honest with you. Um, so, the, so the team yeah. team is small. You put in out small. The- yeah, it's, it's kind of a. I don't want to call it a treadmill, but it's a little bit of a treadmill in that you know you're committing to a certain output of video, and that does keep you extremely busy. And we're trying as we as we kind of develop and evolve to like find space to do things around that, to do you know to pursue other interests and and make videos you know in different styles and and to do other things. Like of late, we're really getting into Dungeons and Dragons. Okay, so it's is, it's is that time. Stranger Things related? Um. I, I mean, it's uh, it's, but we can- it's not unrelated. We would, I think, we, I think we started a little bit before. Oh, no, I can't. Remember. It must have been around the same time. But I think D and D tabletop RPGs generally are just having like such a moment, and that would you say resurgence? I would say resurgence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the thing is. We hadn't, obviously, uh, up until a few years ago, we hadn't played any, any, like, tabletop RPGs, and we didn't really get them. And then once you start, you realise it's just improv theatre for for game nerds. Like, and I say that with love, you know, as a, as a yeah. it's, it's improv theatre with dice and rules, and it is so good. It's, yeah, it's it's perfect for us kind of, like, 
show off gamers i think yeah and we're having so much fun with it so so we found a little time around the kind of youtube content schedule to do live shows to take like D to kind of conventions and and like and also just like get together in like the basement of a pub and play some D. Yeah. it's a bit more sort of like one-on-one rather than being on the online world it's it does it, it sort of like that social aspect there's the amount yes. of cafes the amount of places i've seen with yeah. board games in yes. which seems to be the 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 new thing if you want to just like say if there's anybody like yeah. you back back to when early days where you were at your friend's house and her mum was like you need to go outside perfect mm. we're going to do some uh tabletop yeah uh, we'll, we'll go <laughs> play board games it's yeah it's very social and it's more i guess it's more intimate in a way than social gaming you know um you're you know at a table it's conversation based like yeah there are dice but it's it's really like people coming out of their shells i guess how how difficult is it to pick up you know for anybody who's gaming now who loves the the kind of a a through line a storyline but feel like uh, take it to the next level is that is that the next level in amongst other friends peers yes i feel like um tabletop role-playing games are like what rpg what video game rpgs are, are aspiring to it's that infinite dialogue choices like i want to go here i want to try doing this i want to romance this guy i want to kiss this girl <laughs> and like that's that's what i want from an rpg and that's what D and that's what tabletop rpgs d- do for you is that your your dungeon master your you know storyteller your you know kind of game master is like okay how do you want to do that roll me this dice so it's the infinite possibility the infinite possibilities of the imagination um and i feel like in a certain way that's what you know some games kind of aspire to so it kind of closes that gap and in a really social way where you get to have that adventure with your friends you can reach out to jane douglas on twitter at j-a-n-e-d-o-u-g-l-a-s you can reach out to the host tom deacon at capital t-o-m capital h capital d-e-a-c-o-n and at the joe website you can find more on politics football and sports and their twitter handle is at capital j capital o capital e underscore lowercase c o underscore lowercase uk you can also go to www.joe.co.uk next up refried reviews from hotarl.com that's a-u-r-a-l right to the point the show description says whether it's deconstructing a classic or autopsying a flop we rewatch movies so you don't have to the clip is from the second episode posted november 21st 2013 and in its description it says after a summary of Ryan Johnson's work, JP stumbles through the plot synopsis of his pick, the 2012 film Looper. Okay, so so we have our basic setup. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. We um, I forget exactly where it falls in the chronology, but uh, he does he spend the night with a stripper, or she's a hooker that he's paying for, or something that that uh, he's a regular client of. That and you can tell that. That sort of he's more into it than she is, yeah. and he sees it as his redemption. And well, it's it's when he gets told to kill an hour because at the beginning he goes to the Bellaroar Club, which is the club that Abe operates out of the back of. Because since we're in the noir half of the film, the big boss has to operate out of the back of a nightclub. Sure, um, a classy fucking nightclub. But um, yeah, they uh, after the whole thing with Seth happens that you probably want to talk about. Yeah. Um, Abe tells him to kill an hour. And then he actually has uh, ends up in uh, the hooker's room. But at the uh, beginning, he goes and is like, oh, uh, what, are you working tonight? And she says, yeah, but some uh, some Gat Man already bought me up. Gat Men are just the names for enforcers in this universe. Uh, so, you know, he can't uh, he, he can't have her for the evening. Yeah. In, in the mm-hmm. biblical sense. <laughs> yeah. The 
date. They won't know each other that evening. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So the we have our basic setup. And then when things really start to go awry is when uh, his friend Seth, Paul Dano, uh, shows up desperately to his house late at night. Which, by the way, what else has he been in? Paul Dano? Yeah. Um, there Will Be Blood was the last sort of uh, big thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he also, he looks close enough to Lucas Haas that mm. they sort of blur together, especially because they've both been in Ryan Johnson movies. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was Lucas Haas in Inception, wasn't it? Who was the, the first architect? I think so. It was one of them, but I think it was Lucas Haas. I don't know. We'll, we'll look it up later. Yeah, anyway. Um, okay, so he shows up to uh, to Joe's apartment late at night and is clearly desperate, and then we get like sort of little cutaway uh information about this you know sort of worst case scenario that's clearly happened Mm -hmm. where uh seth um his future self was sent back and seth hesitated because you could hear him humming was it it was he was was humming a child a song that seth's mom used to sing when he was a kid yeah yeah so which this movie does so well is all these little like visual and uh auditory ways that people communicate like from the future to the past like we'll talk about more of those later but like there's a lot of really clever uses of time travel um like you know if you showed up and you wanted to convince your past self not to kill you you'd probably try to make them nostalgic for their early childhood and like appeal to that humanity especially if you knew them so well because you know they're you sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um so Seth hesitates, and his future self manages to break free and run, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, we get pretty clearly from the context and how seriously they're taking it, that this is about the worst thing that can happen if you're a looper. Yeah. And uh, you know that things are not going to turn out well, pretty much regardless. Yeah. So he's begging Joe to sort of to hide him. Yeah. And then, um, and then sort of the bad guys arrive at the door almost immediately thereafter, reaffirming how serious this is. Yeah. He agrees to hide his friend, and then uh, they take him back. They take Joe back to Abe, and they, they don't know that, uh, that he's hidden Seth. So there's sort of a long sequence of Abe intimidating Joe. And a fantastic he, scene. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah. Like, I want to diffuse that tension right now. <laughs> I'm not, not going to break your hand. I'm just going to talk at you for a while, and then you're going to give your friend up. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Daniels isn't in a lot of the movie, but he's great. <laughs> yeah, I think he's a, he actually turns in the strongest performance in the movie. Like, he, I find him to be the most indelible. He's just fantastic. Yeah. Especially in that scene where you're brushing up on your Mandarin. No, French. You should go to China. <laughs> I'm from the future. Go to China. <laughs> yeah, probably the best joke in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> and um, so there's basically an intimidation scene where Abe convinces Joe uh, to give up Seth based on money. He threatens to take half his silver that he's been uh, stowing away because Joe is smarter than most of the loopers and he's trying to actually work up some savings to live the rest of his life and hopefully get away by moving out of the country. Yeah. And uh, so he gives up. The film endears us to Joe through his use of basic financial sensibilities. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know about savings. That's a thing in my life. You can reach out to J.P. Cutter on Twitter at capital J, capital P, underscore, capital C, U-T-T-E-R. His co-host, John Verone, is at I Better Be Funny, which is capital I, capital B, E-T-T-E-R, capital B, E, capital F, U-N-N-Y. The show is at Refried Reviews, which is capital R-E-F-R-I-E-D, capital R-E-V-I-E-W-S. 
There haven't been any new shows published since July 6th of 2017, but that doesn't mean anything, really. Not in the world of soundcasting. And next up is Why is Kraken with Winter? From Mike Winter and Mitchell Haugerud. And the show description is to the point. It says, this is your home for current happenings with a twist. Mike Winter sits down with his guests to talk news, sports, politics, and anything else he can fill a show with. You will enjoy the endless banter, laugh your ass off, and maybe learn something new. Disclaimer, Wisecracking is not for everyone. Please consult your physician before attempting this on your own. Now the clip is from an episode from January 28th, 2020, called Name That Hospital Bill Amount. It was pointed out to me by uh, Mr. Mike Winter on Twitter. In the uh, description it says, Name That Hospital Bill Amount. What a show! Mike channels his inner wink woolery. As he hosts contestants Emma and producer Paul for America's favorite new in-podcast game show where they guess the amounts of different line items for a three-day hospitalization. No matter all the arguments we might have, every American can agree that healthcare in America is about the best bargain on the planet. The gang discusses their memories of the late Kobe Bryant and brings you useless speculation about why the helicopter he, his daughter, and seven others were aboard crashed in the hills of SoCal. Emma lightens things up by giving us more schooling on the latest social media apps, Ouija boards, and awesome videos on YouTube. Hey, it's a big football match this Sunday, the name of which nobody but official sponsors are allowed to speak. Who's going to win? The club from Western Missouri or the squad from the Southern San Francisco Bay Area? Find out who the Big G is picking. And find out how Paul's been doing with Indiana's recently legalized mobile sports betting. Okay, and we're back. We're back. Okay, Emma and Paul. Barely had a chance to catch my breath. Oh, I know. Well, let's make let's sure. Let's get right back into it. Okay, we'll get, we're just going to get right back into it. I'm having so much fun. How about you, Emma? Oh, I've got a golly time. <laughs> this is a fun game. Oh, God, I just love having you two here. Okay, we're getting right down to it, gang. There are three questions left. Three right, questions. Right. We got a score of three to two. Paul's in the lead over there in Indiana. Indiana. Okay, we're looking for recovery room. Recovery room. That's all. That's after surgery. Ah! Your first in. What do you got? Nine thousand seven hundred and eighty-nine. Nine thousand seven hundred eighty-nine. Not on the mark. Paul, chance to steal. Flat fee, twenty-five hundred. Ooh, you're both so far off. I don't know if I can award a point. Uh, we were looking for. Oh, actually, I was looking at the wrong line item, judges. Okay. We were looking for $8,775. Uh, Who was closer? I was. <laughs> Congratulations, that Emma. That's, that's three points apiece. Three points apiece. Moving into the last two questions. Um, how are you Let's guys get doing? this bread. How are the nerves doing? How are the nerves doing, Emma? They're just fine. Okay. And what are you going to be studying in school when you go to college in four years? How to guess prices. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> Who would go to college and learn how to do that? How about you, Paul? You're a college graduate. What did you study? Uh, I studied geography, but I really wish I studied medical billing. <laughs> yeah, shouldn't you have? <laughs> You'd be rich right now. Rich. Oh, my God. That was such a good time. And the audience loves it. Okay, let's see here. Oh, next question. Tough one. Room and board for three days. What? Room, room and board for three days. What did it cost so to that, stay there? So that's like, that's like bed sheets, a remote control, and some bad food. <laughs> Not sure about that exactly. It's just a bed in the hospital for three days. What? Did it, <laughs> I'm gonna get first to buzz in. 
<laughs> what do we got? <laughs> 12,000 flat. Ooh, just missed it. Paul, chance to steal. <laughs> Ooh, well, I, you know, I was going to say a, a decent hotel would only cost you one or two hundred bucks a night. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right. And a hospital room's not really as nice. Uh, so no, it isn't. <laughs> It should cost about ten thousand five hundred. <laughs> oh, you are wrong, but you were closer than Emma. What we were looking for was forty three thousand six hundred eighty one dollars for three days. <laughs> oh, God bless America! <laughs> Nothing wrong with the medical system here, right, Emma? Forty three thousand for three days in a bed in the hospital. <laughs> Okay, what do we got for a score again, gang? I forget. <laughs> I got four. It's four to three. Four, four to three. Four to three. Oh, it's going to come right down to the last question. Might have to have a tiebreaker. Is it... Emma, you Oof. need this one. Okay. You need I'll this trade one. this one. It's going to be worth two points. It's only worth one point, though. Uh, one good. point. Okay. One point. Emma, what? Paul, total cost we're looking for for... Supplies. Who's first? <laughs> Emma. Oh, <laughs> what have we got for supplies? <laughs> Fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand. Yeah. Not on the Ooh. mark. Paul, chance to wrap this up. Thirty-nine ninety-nine. Paul, you're way off. Oh. <laughs> oh, Paul, you're way off. Oh, so way off. But Emma, the you were closer. Cents. And the total cost of supplies was fourteen thousand two hundred ninety-five dollars. <laughs> so Emma, you've got that point with your guess of fifteen thousand. Oh. <laughs> so we're wow. coming down to it now. Special bonus question. Bonus question to go ahead and win this round or the game of guess the total of this medical bill. Pat. Pat, before you do the final bonus question, can you tell us again what we're playing for. You're playing for a brand new car. <laughs> That's right. Oh, oh. A brand new 2020 VW Bug. We got it parked right outside with a ribbon on the top for the winner of today's. Instead of the Bug, what we're willing to do is give you medical insurance. Oh, my God. Medical <laughs> insurance with the studio or... A VW bug. I'd rather take the bug. Both of you don't have medical insurance, so lots to think about. Don't forget to follow Wisecracking with Winter on the Instagram, the Twitters, and the Facebook. And the Twitters is at GetWiseCracken. That is G-E-T-W-I-S-E-C-R-A-C-K-I-N. You can email the show at WisecrackingWithWinter at Yahoo.com. And that is still Wisecracken, not with a G. You can go to GetWiseCracken.com. Uh, Mitchell... Haugerud, I'm not sure I'm saying his name correctly, I apologize, is at M-H-A-U-G-E-R-U-D on Twitter, and producer Paul Lambie is at capital P, capital J, capital L-A-M-B-I-E. I do not know if Emma is on Twitter. This episode of Suckatash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumpPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. TrumpPoetry.com. Yes, TrumpPoetry.com. I've got a selection of three, but they're all tiny ones. 
They're pretty fun. And by tiny, I just mean like limer limerick length, basically. Some of my favorite types of poems are uh, limericks. If I can say that. Some of my favorite types of poems are limericks. Um, or actually, I should say one of my favorite types of poem is limerick. Or is a limerick. One of my favorites type one of my favorite types of poem is a limerick? Aha. Yes. Anyway. So there are these are all from February. From February fifth, twenty twenty, number three fifty. It was far less a speech than campaign, as eloquence circled the drain. Some half truths to peddle, and Rush got a medal. Then Nancy made her response plain. And from the seventh of February twenty twenty, number three forty eight. With the White House's East Room outfitted, he bragged about being acquitted. He went on quite a while, and elsewhere, meanwhile, the Statue of Liberty vomited. <laughs> and in from February 18th, 2020, number 337. This four-day work week has begun. I hope yesterday you had fun kicking back or at play on President's Day, celebrating them all except one. <laughs> Hello, friends. Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? Well, we offer you Henderson Space Pants. Yes, Space Pants. Say it with me. Space Pants. Here's the story behind Henderson Space Pants. A few years ago, the head of Henderson's procurement office heard a rumor from a guy who knew a guy who had a sister who worked in the factory that makes the bolts that hold on the rear tailgates of the heavy-duty utility vehicles that were driven by a man who lived down the street from a woman that knew a mailman who once delivered a registered letter to a man who used to work as a substitute gate sentry at Cape Canaveral. Okay? Well, it seems this fellow had it on good authority that NASA was going to be putting in a huge order for space pants for the astronauts who fly the space shuttles. Based on that hot tip, Anderson's pants started churning out pairs of space pants by the lunar module full. Well, when NASA ended up pulling the plug on the whole shuttle program, plenty of people around Henderson's had freeze-dried egg on their faces. Only then did the fine folks at Henderson's discover the order was to have been for space suits, not space pants. It turns out there is no such thing as space pants. Until now, Henderson's has warehouses full of the suckers and you can wear them into space or anywhere else you care to squeeze into with your vacuum-packed ass. Originally designed for... Well, the NASA astronauts, haven't you been listening? Henderson Space Pants are available wherever mothballed airless flyboys shop. That's Henderson's, makers of fine slacks and merkins since 1457. And now back to Succotash. Pants in space. And coming in at number four is a soundcast called Knowing, colon, Robin Williams. I have to say colon because otherwise it's, it comes off as Knowing Robin Williams, which, you know. It's from Macmillan Publishers. Its show description reads, Chances are Robin Williams has made you laugh, cry, or cry laughing, at least once in your lifetime. From sweaty stand-up riffs to sitcom mayhem as Mark from Ork to a powerful Oscar-winning performance in Goodwill Hunting, Robin was an artist who was constantly pushing his craft. But behind these displays of brilliance was an isolated and often misunderstood man. From Macmillan Podcasts, Knowing, Robin Williams, takes you inside the lawless and brilliant mind of one of America's most beloved comedians. Join New York Times reporter David Itzkoff and host Christy Westgard as they share never-before-heard interviews and thoughtful analysis 
to celebrate the life and legacy of a comedic genius. The clip is from the episode posted October 27, 2019, titled The Comet, in which it says in the description, Robin finds solace in a lonely childhood through comedy and defies his father's wishes to eventually pursue acting at Juilliard, but his pinball energy proves hard to contain in the structure of academia. Certainly the biggest culture shock that Robin experienced, at least in that uh, era of his life, was moving from Michigan, moving from Bloomfield Hills, where it was uh, very buttoned down and small C conservative and traditional, then moving out to Marin, which is just north of San Francisco, in 1969 at the tail end of the Summer of Love and suddenly ending up in this community where everything feels uh, very open and a little bit bohemian and really quite unlike anything he'd experienced to that point. It seems like Robin took to the West Coast lifestyle pretty easily. So come fall, he begins his freshman year at Claremont Men's College. And from what I know, Claremont is kind of buttoned up, which makes me wonder how Robin would have fit into this environment. The kinds of students who were going to Claremont, certainly in that era, were young men who were expected to kind of pursue traditional white-collar careers. And Robin himself, he, he didn't quite know what he wanted to be or why he was going there, but he kind of imagined maybe he would end up as a, a diplomat or something like that. And certainly there that was done to please his father or to fulfill uh, a desire that his father had and that he would get bankrolled, uh, at least in terms of his tuition, while he went there. But it became pretty clear very quickly that that was not necessarily where Robin's future resided. Robin took a theater class at Scripps, and by the first session, he was hooked. He and 18 classmates formed an improv group called Karma Pie, and they met twice a week to perform these free shows. And he became quite notorious on campus for his motormouth charm, which helped him get more than just friends. Even though he does come from a family that has money, he is often, you know, broke and penniless or just has nothing in his pockets and is uh, constantly uh, scrounging and borrowing from other people and, and living off of uh, their good uh, their good kindness. And some of it is the sort of bohemian spirit of that era and the, the trust that people had that they could just get by on each other and the kinds of people that Robin happened to surround himself with. I think it also comes from his own principle of wanting to be independent from his parents and certainly from his father, not feeling like he had to depend on them or on their money. And if that left him flat broke at times, then then so be it. But at least he felt like he had the uh, the dignity or the independence that he wasn't borrowing from them. Between Karma Pie and theater, Robin began failing his other classes. For his final macro econ paper, he simply wrote, I really don't know, sir. And finally, Rob had had enough and withdrew Robin from Claremont. When he heard about his son's plans to pursue acting, he had one piece of advice for Robin. My father, up there, the man who, uh, when I said I wanted to be an actor, he said, wonderful, just have a backup profession like welding. Robin actually attended a few welding courses at a trade school, but that didn't go far. So he ends up enrolling in the College of Marin. And this was a public community college, which I think is great. But did Robin at all feel like this was a step down? I think that 
I think that the College of Marin was chosen for obvious reasons, that Robin could continue to pursue his academics, but also because it had a very strong theater program, particularly for a kind of community college. It was a two-year program that Robin spent three years in, and not because he was a bad student, but because he was really into the theater and really excelled at it. You can read early reviews of Robin that are written by the local newspapers in Marin County that are giving him great notices and praising him for the talent that he was already exhibiting. Robin was taught by James Dunn, a San Rafael native and a Marine Corps veteran who served as a drill instructor in the Korean War. And Dave, there's a theme that you point out that's very telling about Robin's relationship with authority and with his father. Yeah. Robin, as much as he kind of uh, recoiled at, you know, order and structure, he also responded to that. He thrived in those kinds of structured environments. He knew how to work within them and also how to get around them and how, you know, how to go outside the boundaries and then, you know, give you a wink and a smile and you could almost forgive him for it. You can reach out to Dave Itzkoff on Twitter at D-I-T-Z-K-O-F-F. Christy Westgard can be reached at capital K-R-I-S-T-Y, capital W-E-S-T-G-A-R-D. McMillan Podcasts can be reached at M-A-C underscore P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S. And you can go to us.mcmillan.com forward slash podcasts forward slash podcast forward slash knowing. Yes, that is the word podcasts followed by the word podcast, singular. So that's plural before singular. Longtime listeners of Zuckatash might recall that we did a special memorial episode of Robin Williams back in September 15th of 2014. It's episode 94, and it's called Remembering Robin, and it's definitely worth listening to. Um, so yeah, there's that. All right, in the number five slot, a show called Pajama Pants, and it's credited as being by Rob Eiler and Kasim G. In the show description, it says, We are Robert Eiler and Kasim G, and in the parentheses, along with special guest Jamie Lynn Siegler, discussing a whole lot of nothing but everything at the same time, in pajama pants. Subscribe for new episodes every Monday morning. So that is Robert Eiler and Jamie Lynn Siegler, you might recall, played uh, Anthony Jr. and Meadow Soprano on The Sopranos for, I don't know, what, eight, nine years? It was a, it was a good amount of time there. I, I don't know. I've seen... All of the episodes, but I cannot remember uh, what the exact size of the chunk of my life it was that those occurred over. So, uh, my apologies. The clip is from an episode from January 27th, 2020. In the description says, Dr. Drew joins pajama pants and weighs in on gender reveal parties, being a good listener, and what's wrong with Rob? From 16 years old to 31, like, I never spent 24 hours sober. Whew. Ever. I'm glad you're here. If it was like, yeah, like I would, you know, it was night, night. If, if it was like, because when I worked on Sopranos, I never fucked around. And I, but then as soon as we fucking wrapped, like I would make a bowl out of tinfoil and f- had weed on me and then drinking and this. But the, so something I actually wanted to talk to you about and, and figure out if it was, what do you think about this is, so at, uh, uh Sopranos ended for me when I was like 22. And at 23, I had my first anxiety attack. Mm. And that's when I started benzos. And, uh-huh. and, and that was, and I either took benzos or drank every day for eight years. Unfortunately, heavy cannabis can trigger the panic. I understand you were also losing stuff and you you had a big transition. But yeah. it's, you know, I can't tell you how many times I have people, I see people with 
overwhelming panic from heavy cannabis. So what what I wanted to figure out is like because right at the end of Sopranos is when I had my first anxiety attack, and also and by the way, they normally start eighteen to twenty two. It's just when they start, right? Mm-hmm. And then right at the the last, so Jamie has MS, and the last scene of Sopranos was the last time she said she was ever able to run. Mm. After that, she she couldn't anymore, and I just mm. like those things for me it's a lot. Kind of like sure. where it was like, wow, Sopranos. And like during big change in your life and loss and stuff like oh, that, yeah. that's when things I, really. I had panic when I was 19. Horrible. Disabling. It's awful. And I wondered, I and I was smoking a little pot around that time too. And I wondered if that helped trigger it because I've yeah. seen so many patients with that. It, and it scares me now to smoke pot. I'd love to try all this great stuff that's around. Yeah. But it scares yeah. me. I'm going to trigger panic again. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. And panic is horrible, right? So were you, were you an addict? No, no, no. You were I'm not just, an addict. I just I I have depression, panic, general anxiety, all that good stuff. Yeah, because I had never felt anxiety in my entire life, and when people used to say it, I yeah. was of that like, oh, you're just being a fucking put. That. And right. then when you felt it for the first time, and my friend said, oh, you could just take a Xanax, and then that there was for the nobody so, ever panic disorder. Yeah, got it. Got a diagnosis for you. Panic okay. disorder. Yep. Right. Uh, panic. Benzodiazepine that? addiction. Mm-hmm. Got that. Yeah. And then that alcoholism. Was got that. Every yeah. day for uh, alcohol use disorder. We call for it for eight years. I was yeah. taking benzos, Horrible. and then uh, who gave you that? Kill that guy. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's murder you know, him. Yeah. Not, so, it, it's so not mad. a doctor. Oh. It was not a doctor. Okay. Yeah. Well, still. <laughs> yeah, I was I, never really getting my my stuff from doctors until the end when I went to see a specialist and he took you off. Said if you stop getting off of that, we'll do this program. This and that guy needs an award. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have Loveline in New York? Because wh- when did Loveline sure. go national? Yeah. Uh, in the mid to late 90s. It was Z100. Okay. So, yeah. It was Z100, was, but it was midnight to three at Z100. Catherine's a friend of mine. Catherine McCord? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Please say hi for me. I will. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. I just saw Diane Farr, who was the one before. Oh, I remember her. when yeah. she uh, uh, guest, or I don't know, she was like the host for a Diane. while. Yeah. Diane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then she guest yeah. hosted. She's now, she and Adam are buddies now after all these years. It's very weird. That's cool. Yeah. So, look, I went to school out here in Southern California, Newbury Park, and. Um, At River Bay? Newbury Park. Newbury Park. Uh, in the city. 5,000 Oaks. Got yeah, it, yeah. Got it. <clears throat> and we would listen to the show every night. Um, at 10 almost every night because it was really the only it was the only way we could get like real information yeah i know <laughs> and that's why, that's why i started it i, I look, thought what would i have wanted okay so this is where i got to suck you down okay. this is that show what that show did for me and then up until uh because i am in recovery and and every time i was getting close to um I, when I was I was hitting what I thought was going to be a rock bottom, I had your voice echo in my head, right? The signs of being an alcoholic. I remember you specifically saying things like uh, drinking in the face of consequences, momentum. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, I know. Denial. Uh, all that stuff. And then, in, you know, 12 Step has its own yeah. definition, but yeah, all yeah. those things lined up. But your voice specifically, because it was the only one. I didn't have my parents there. Mm. Well, I mean, they were there, but they weren't there right. to tell me what was you know, maybe I was you know, struggling with a thing that I could get help for. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have everyone that I, you know, was friends with was also drinking the same amount. But, you know, they could stop when they wanted to stop. A lot of them did. You know, some of them still, I think, struggle with that. Yeah. But um, that show specifically made such a big impact. And I know you get this all the time, but this is my this is my opportunity to just say thank you. you because, it. you know, I, and I entered a, a, a program and I got a sponsor and I sponsor cool. guys. And, awesome. and um, it's been, you know, I have three years coming up and, it, and it's, it's a big a, deal. You can email your questions to askpajamapants at gmail.com. 
You can call and leave them a voicemail at 201-972-5262. That is 201-972-5262. You can follow the guest, Dr. Drew, on Twitter at drdrew. Robert Eiler appears to be only on Instagram. Uh, you can get him at Pajama Pants Podcast, apparently. That's what it says. So that is P-A-G-A-M-A-P-A-N-T-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Kasim G can be reached on Twitter at K-A-S-S-E-M-G. And since I'm including other people's Instagrams here, uh, his Instagram is actually G-M-E-S-S-A-K. It's uh, Kasim G backwards. It just I just figured that out after reading it out loud. Jamie Lynn Siegler is on Twitter at capital J-A-M-I-E, capital L, capital S-I-G-L-E-R. And on Instagram, she is J-A-M-I-E-L-Y-N-N-S-I-G-L-E-R. You can also watch the show on YouTube. That's a Pajama Pants podcast. And the show can be reached on Twitter at Pajama Pants Pod, P-A-J-A-M-A-P-A-N-T-S-P-O-D. <laughs> P-A-J-A-M-A-P-A-N-T-S. Hooray for Sandy Claus. Nope, doesn't work. All right, anyway. Oh, yeah, and you can also find them at apparently simplecast.com. It's pajamapants.simplecast. Simple is S-I-M-P-L-E-C-A-S-T. And finally tonight for clips, we have Piecing It Together podcast, which is from the All Points West Network. The show description says, A podcast about movies and the movies that inspired them. A good movie is the result of a large number of people, both in front of and behind the camera, combining to create a piece of art. But what about the movies that came before those that inspired those filmmakers to make the movie? On piecing it together, we figure out what the clear and not-so-clear influences were that make up the movies we love. The clip is from the episode titled Guava Island. It's featuring David Quinones from April 16th, 2019. In his description, it says, On the 57th episode of Piecing It Together, returning co-host David Quinones and I discuss Childish Gambino's 50-minute semi-feature Guava Island which debuted on Amazon Prime during his Coachella set. Part film, part music video collection, it's a unique vision, as we should all expect from the team behind Atlanta and Childish Gambino's This Is America music video. Puzzle pieces include Lemonade, Spirited Away, Inside Llewellyn Davis, and Sorry to Bother You. So yeah, let me go to my next puzzle piece. So um, I, I this one kind of goes along with, uh, with, with Lemonade as well, uh, and that is Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Um, but again, I'm going, uh, before I get into any of the substance of what the, uh, you know, what the story is and what the setting is and all that talking about mainly just, uh, the, the inspiration of, of stringing music videos together into, uh, some kind of a narrative, uh, which, you know, I mean, Moonwalker is just, <laughs> it's just, it's so great for people who, you know, who loved that music at that time. And like, it was just so larger than life and putting those amazing songs together into this, like, and it's like, it's kind of ridiculous at the same time as it genuinely is awesome. And I, I think uh, Guava Island is taking some really great songs. I mean, the, these, these recent tracks from Childish Cambino are really great tracks. And, um, Fitting them together this way, it, I think they did a really great job of kind of capturing that same kind of thing. And then also to that same point, I mean, some of uh, uh, Childish Gambino's dance moves, I think. Uh, very evocative of MJ. Yeah, yeah for sure. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Some of his Very influenced his by, by Michael Jackson, I think. I mean, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, if, <laughs> Moonwalker, rare movie where the video game was better than it, though. Yeah. The well, which which video game? Because there was Sega Genesis. The Sega Genesis video game 
where okay. you like where you fight the zombies and all that stuff. And yeah. I liked both of them actually, but yeah, I agree with you. Though. The Genesis one's better than the arcade, but absolutely rare, rare, rare occurrence of that. Yeah, <laughs> um, which I guess I'll jump to my number five then because I had five, but I mean it, it goes part and parcel with what you just said because mine is 1978's The Wiz, uh, with which is obviously you know as most people remember Sidney Lumet directed, starring Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, Nipsey Russell. Um, same thing, right? Musical score tying together uh, the 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 story, and I. I put this together because apparently I, I'm, I'm, you know, I like a lot of the singles that uh, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, I suppose, has come out with in the uh, last two albums he's done. But what I read was that big fans of his say that this movie ties together themes of the of the like this. This movie is an actual sort of cohesive piece that brings together a lot of the themes from his last two albums and uh, the the music was telling this sort of loosely connected story mm-hmm. and that these that these numbers weren't just the they weren't just shoehorned in they were actually you know like intentional and that this right. movie was was an intentional uh n- narrative project that brought that brought together these um the the music that he's been making and from what i understand there's really like two childish gambinos there's the pre 2015 Childish Gambino, who was just kind of a, just another rapper that wasn't really that great. I mean, like, I remember that Childish Gambino, and he had a couple songs that were interesting or funny, but he was just... I think he was most notable for, like, adding nerd culture into hip-hop. Yeah, he was like a, like a, like a, like a, like a discount version of Odd Future. I don't know if you ever got into Odd Future. No, I never did. Yeah, Odd Future, like, that moment of, like, 2007, 2008 funny hip-hop nerd hip-hop kind of Mm. coming out uh you know that that was that moment right and he was he was one of that group of of rappers that kind of had their moment during that that time um Mm. but anyway back to my pick the Wiz. uh i mean this was an incredible movie i you know in looking up this movie it's actually not very highly rated i can't believe i can't believe that i thought that this was like an afi like top 100 movie or something but <laughs> apparently it's a it's yeah. a lowly rated movie um yeah. i loved it i remember loving it growing up and it reminds me a lot of the, the sort of the whimsy and the fun um you know stylistically we always talk about like usually when i'm on this show with you what i'll talk about is one that has like a you know a similar tone or a similar style it might not have the same story, which it doesn't, you know, the, the, right. the whiz doesn't have the same story, but the way that, that the whiz was made, um, felt a lot like, like it, it was like the warm tonality and the, 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 the beautiful, um, consideration that was taken into the presentation of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could see, Hiro Murai being a kind of person who was, you know, very influenced by by Lume. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, I had uh, The Wiz. Absolutely. You can reach out to the host, David Rosen, at by David Rosen. That's B-Y-D-A-V-I-D-R-O-S-E-N. The co-host for the episode, David Canones, at capital D-A-V-I-D underscore capital Q-U-I-N-O-N-E-S. The show at PiecingPod, which is at... Uh, Capital P I E C I N G, capital P O D. The main website is piecingpod.com. Piecingpod is spelled the same way as before. And lastly, tonight, it's time for our burst of durst. It's one of two that we have left. And um, 
And before I play it, I would just like to say that you can send your Get Well cards to Wildurst, W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T, P.O. Box 225126. It's P.O. Box 225126. In San Francisco, California, zip code 94122. This burst is from October 4th, 2019. It's called Daring Daring, in which our intrepid correspondent skitters about the ongoing circus currently raging inside the Beltway. <laughs> hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice examples of unimpeachable humor. Washington right now is vibrating like coffee in a cup holder of a Jeep with bad shocks trying to ride railroad tracks over a bridge. Because there is substantial evidence that the President of the United States withheld financial aid to Ukraine until they agreed to assist him in the upcoming election by digging up dirt on Joe Biden and family. Some of that evidence consists of Trump's own admission. Then he didn't just double down, he quintupled down by publicly asking China to do the same thing. First he leverages Ukraine, then China. Who's next? Wakanda? Ruritania? Fredonia? He's already got Absurdistan's support, a.k.a. Fox News. Either he doesn't believe he can commit a crime, or doesn't think anybody cares, or considers himself invincible. This was no surprise. Everybody knew it was bound to happen. You cut enough corners, eventually all you got left is a hole. Hopefully one big enough to hide in, which is what staffers and appointees are looking for right now. The problem with swimming with Donald Trump is he constantly poops in the pool and expects everyone to pretend not to notice. Then, when they try to get out, no one will lend them a towel. He's daring, daring Congress by saying, yeah, I did it, and I'll do it again, and who's going to do anything about it? You? Right. You in what army? Even though he's under fire for corrupt abuse of power, the House, controlled by Democrats, decides this information is so critical, they spring into action and take a two-week recess. But when they get back, they're expected to buy a ticket on the impeachment train without any idea where it's going, when it'll get there, or how much it's going to cost. And checked bags are extra. For Suckatash, the comedy soundcast, 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 I'm Will Durst. Daring, daring. You can still reach out to Will Durst on Twitter, I imagine. Uh, Somebody has to be monitoring it, I suppose. And that is at Will Durst, W-I-L-L-D-U-R-S-T. And you can go to willdurst.com to find the Will Durst Journal, which is comedy for people who read or know someone who does. Thank you for your contributions to the show over the years, Mr. Durst. We all appreciate it over here. Get well soon. Yes, it's the end of the show again. Here we are together, and thank you for spending time with us. You know, I wouldn't describe the overall experience of putting together a show like Succotash, the comedy Soundcast Soundcast, as being particularly difficult. I enjoy listening to Soundcasts a great deal, so that's no fuss. I'd be doing that anyway, because I enjoy hearing other people's conversations more than I ever realized I would. I'm not the type to eavesdrop in general, because people don't often like it when they find out you've been doing that. But with a soundcast, they invite you to listen. And sometimes it's the only way you might have exposure to some very creative minds that exist out there in the world. I really enjoy the idea of being able to share parts of those conversations with you. I enjoy the writing, recording, and editing of the episodes. All of that is not what I would necessarily call easy, but it's certainly not what I would call difficult. No, the difficult part has always been this part, saying goodbye. I mean, I could just keep it simple. I could say goodbye and cue the music. 
I just don't think it would be right to do so. And now that we are so near the end of our run, at least until the hiatus is over, I'm reminded of all the kindness that has been shown to this program over the years, and how a relatively unknown format, such as the podcast, perhaps permanently rebranded as a soundcast one day, has become so widely used throughout the world as a way to achieve conversations and communicate to anyone interested in listening. Thank you all for your interest. It means the world to us here at Succotash. So, for Mark Hershon, Joel Paulino, Will Durst, Scott Carvey, and Bill Haywatt, I'd like to wish you nothing but happiness in your lives. And thank you for sharing us with others. For that is what we mean when we gently remind you to please pass the Succotash. You've been listening to Succotash Clips, the comedy soundcast soundcast with your host, Tyson Saner. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher Smart Radio, on SoundCloud, on YouTube, on Donder, on Blitzen, on iHeartRadio, and on... <laughs> a laughable app. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Succotash Show. Email us at TysonSaner at SuccotashShow.com. Or call into the Succotash hotline at our toll or call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcasts directly to us by using our direct upload link at itail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, hosted by Tyson Saner. Our executive producer is Mark Hershon. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durgis. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the Succotash. Goodbye. Goodbye.